0: Just like one dig, you know, the idea would be, well, how about if we just roll one truck out there, one truck in the neighborhood, one episode, streamlined, go.
1: Welcome to episode 193 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. When a community chooses to deploy a fiber network, it's no small undertaking. Planners must first complete a number of tasks before one foot of fiber can be buried or strung from utility poles. In Louisville, Kentucky, where Google Fiber has considered expansion, an issue has come up regarding utility polls and rights of providers. The debate has shined a light on One Touch Make Ready, policy designed to hasten preparation of utility polls while still respecting the concerns of utility companies that own or use the polls. Chris sought out Ted Smith, Chief Innovation Officer for the City of Louisville, to talk about One Touch Make Ready. Chris and Ted also expand the conversation to talk about the city's creative approach to improving connectivity for residents of all income levels and ways they're pushing the boundaries of innovation. Now here are Chris and Ted Smith, Chief Innovation Officer from Louisville, Kentucky.
2: Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Ted Smith, the Chief Innovation Officer for the City of Louisville. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
2: We're excited to talk to Louisville. I've actually um, long known uh, about Louisville as a basketball city. I understand that you do some other things as well. Um, you know, why don't we start by just uh, having you give us a little details for people who aren't familiar uh, with your community? what What sort of things is Louisville known for?
0: You probably do know Louisville for basketball, but uh, you should uh, you should certainly know us for the Kentucky Derby, the most famous two minutes of sport that that occurs every year. Uh you may know the Louisville Slugger bats. I'm sure many of you know the uh the importance that the bourbon industry has had in, in uh in the world in the last few years. And you know, we are the home to uh bourbon uh it's sort of the champagne region of France. We are we are that for uh, for bourbon. So, yeah, and you know, and on the business side, I mean, we we have a really diverse and exciting uh economy. You know, we're you know home to Humana uh, UPS World Port, you know, so the majority of packages leaving and coming into the country for UPS are, are coming through here. Uh, and there's a, there's a great uh, set of related kinds of uh, economic activities. We're about uh, 750,000 people in a merged city county. And uh, that's important for those, those that keep track of, you know, what's going on in uh, sort of mid sized cities, you know, cities that made the decision to bring together in a consolidated form their city and county. Uh, you know, generally have done very well in the last few decades. And, uh, you know, we've certainly done well, uh, you know, operating like that.
2: And as chief innovation officer, I think one of your jobs is going to be to try and make it more high tech and friendly to uh, Internet style innovation, you know, Internet companies and and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, what are some of the the things that you're focused on to make uh, Louisville more friendly uh, for those high tech companies?
0: there's a wide range of things that that, that run the spectrum from, um, you know, our, our infrastructure, if you will, you know, what's the absolute fabric and, uh, you know, I I'm spending a lot of my time these days on uh, broadband internet, uh, but you know, it also runs all the way over to, you know, kind of the the human capital side. You know, we have a a thriving uh, maker community here, a very large maker space. Uh, and you know, the, that culture of, Tinkering, hacking, breaking, making, uh, you know, is is also a related and important part of this whole thing. So we're really trying to bring an ecosystem of, uh, you know, technology and creativity uh, together here. And uh, there's a lot of pieces to
2: that. The main thing that I think people have seen lately uh, in Louisville was that you're one of the first communities and possibly the very first to embrace a a policy idea called one touch make ready, which should uh, make it easier for anyone who wants to deploy fiber on poles Uh, to be able to do that. Um, Before we get into that too much, I just wanted to note that, you know, we scheduled this call before there was a lawsuit. And I understand that you're not at liberty to talk about anything related to the lawsuit. So if listeners are interested, we're sorry, but we're going to talk more about the policy stuff than any of the lawsuit activities. What problems did Louisville note uh, in terms of needing to be corrected with a new policy?
0: A lot of the focus for large Uh, area infrastructure, you know, work, you know, think of it it's capital construction work, right? You're, you're building something and then the focus becomes, you know, what are the, what are the barriers uh, to, you know, being able to do business in a, in a community. And you you really do focus on just the way things work, right? How does permitting work and, you know, how does franchising work? and, And, you know, there's a lot of wonky stuff that I wouldn't expect anybody who listens to your show to care about really. But, um sooner or later, you do run into, well, you know, how, how does your city operate as it relates to um, the public rights of way? And many will be familiar with this idea of one big policy. You know, so if you're in downtown Boston and somebody ripped open a block of roadway, um, you would hope that while they've got the road open, they're going to be working on everything that's down there that is scheduled or needs to be worked on, right? So that'd be the gas lines, that'd be the water line, that'd be the electric, a the number of things that are in the roadway, right? And uh, you would hope they would do that all at once and then close the road up, and then it might be a long time before they need to open the road again. Um, and so those are called one-dig policies, and many cities have one-dig policies where they do coordinate, you know, the work uh, of the utilities so that, there's minimal disruption to the community and improves overall safety in the community. Well, when you think about aerial attachment poles, uh, there's a there's a similar idea and it's called One Touch Make Ready. And uh, there's a great white paper that the Fiber to the Home Council put out a couple of months ago. You know that really describes uh, how much um, safer it can be for a community to not have uh, five or six trucks rolling out to a pole, a utility pole. Each one, you know, moving one line a few inches and then another truck coming out and moving their line a few inches all uh, to get to a place where the newest attacher can put their line on. And so, you know, just like one dig, you know, the idea would be, well, how about if we just roll one truck out there and we have a a accredited certified technician who's, who's able to move everyone's line to make room for the new line and go ahead and attach it and drive away. So one truck in the neighborhood, one episode, uh, one interaction, streamlined, go. And so that really is the idea behind One Touch Picklet.
2: Well, and I think one of the things that people may not be aware of is that, for the most part, when this sort of work is being done, it is contract crews. You know, it's not someone who's literally getting a paycheck from AT and T or from uh, Comcast or, or or any of those big companies. There are a crew of local people that those big companies and local companies might contract with. So, what you're doing to some extent, I think, is is you're basically finding common crews that everyone uh, trusts to work with and just having them do it at once rather than, you know, rolling that truck multiple times.
0: At the end of the day, you know, in our community, these poles are owned by um, private companies. Um, You know, in our community, they're owned by our our electric and gas utility and by uh, AT&T. And so those poles are are their property, their private property. And pole attachment, you know, having the ability to attach to their pole he is actually uh, governed, you know, by you know their uh, their attachment policies and contracts, and you have to pay for lease space on attachment. And so, when you get to this issue of you know who's doing the work, you know, I want to be 100% clear. The only people that can do work on polls in our community are our contractors or you know or labor that is approved by that utility. You know, the ordinance that we passed wasn't to say that, well, now anybody can climb up this pole and put a wire on. I mean, that that's definitely not what we're, what we're saying. We're saying the pole owners have decided who is credentialed to be on their poles on their equipment. And um, from that list of contractors, technicians, some new attacher is going to have to select, you know, to do the work uh, or have their own workforce accredited by that pole owner. And so I know this seems a little bit in the weeds, but it's important to know because a lot of people have misunderstood this to be, you know, now the government's you know, asking to have anybody come up and do whatever they want on our polls. I mean, that, that's not at all the case. But, you know, we really are working with with respect to the way that attachment uh, is governed today. And we're just asking for, you know, the, the common sense of, you know, let's let's let that technician move everyone's line, not just touch the one line that they might have been originally dispatched for.
2: And I'm glad that you bring up that the city of Louisville doesn't own the polls in this case. I think that's uh, an interesting piece. And um, can you say a little bit about why the city of Louisville has a say over the polls? Uh, We have talked previously about the the right-of-way and how it works, uh, but I think maybe you could give us a very brief refresher of it.
0: If you look at the ordinance that was passed, you know, what What we're asking for is polls that are in our public rights of way. Um, you know, we're, we're asking for essentially a, a, a standard of work for those polls in our rights of way. And so, you know, it, it really is just a matter of we're really trying to uh, streamline and improve the safety and efficiency of operations in public rights of way. And so, you know, I understand that the polls are privately owned uh, and that, that's fine, uh, but, you know, they're you know, this This policy applies to uh, our public rights of way.
2: Right. And I was going to say as a reminder, I think just a, a little bit deeper is that the you're entrusted. I mean, you're required to operate the rights of way to, you know, to to regulate them in a way that will benefit the public. And, you know, if as I'm looking at this from afar, uh, it looks to me like is saying, well, we want to make sure that we can make it easier for new investment. We want new investment in Louisville. And if if you have to if you have this this system where a company that wants to build fiber has to wait months and months and months. Uh, that's going to be a problem. So you're basically saying our rights of way are going to be more efficient. I mean, is that basically the the high level?
0: I would argue, um, you know, the you know, the Councilman Hollander, who uh, introduced, sponsored the ordinance, and, and you know, got it passed through. You know, he he really has emphasized uh, the importance of the of the public safety and the lack of of interruption. Uh, in the neighborhood. So I, I know you just made the argument for, like, we want to be a place where private companies can come and invest, but I'll tell you, uh, in the formation of the legislation and in the passing of the legislation, the higher premium was being placed on, you know, the reason that we believe, uh, you know, this needs to be done is is to decrease disruption in uh, in the places, you know, around these rights of way. Uh, and, and primarily a, a safety and disruption reduction Again, like one dig is uh that's really where we' coming from, and you know i, I you know so I, don't, I, don't, I I don't view this as an economic development activity per se. I view this as this is uh this is streamlining the way access to our rights of way operate. Now, there will be other benefits of working like that, but you know this isn't um an economic policy. this is a this is really a safety and efficiency common sense thing to do. Uh and I know it has implications, you know, in other in other quadrants, but you know, when you look at the way the legislation was crafted path, we spent most of our time um, really focused on on safety and uh, disruption.
2: That's uh, it's actually a perfect analog then. I mean, you just you mentioned it, but I'll note to people that when we were studying Santa Monica, which has one of the the more longer running uh, dig once kind of policies, um, that their initial concern was literally that the streets would be crumbling from all the cuts in them. And that was uh, why they embraced that sort of a model. I think that's why a lot of other cities have as well. Through the
0: course of this whole thing I, I've become very sensitive to poles. <laughs> and uh, you know, w- what you'll learn is, you know, there there's a there's a lot of shortcut, you know, sort of I don't know, I think it was sort of hacking that goes on in, in the in the pole business, you know, where you will have let's say the electric utility decides whatever they need to do to, that, that the pole that's standing in place is not gonna be able to uh you know, Structurally support whatever needs to be done, so they need to put in a new pole. well, they'll put in a new pole in roughly that location right right next to it and uh and then they'll move their stuff over right the electric utility and then in many cases um you know they'll chop the pole right and um and then there are two poles there, and we're waiting for all these other communication layer attachers to start moving onto the new pole right and and so in worst case scenarios, they've actually then cut the pole at the top and bottom, lashed it to the new pole because one attacher hasn't gotten their truck out. And so there's, you know, there's this sort of cancerous looking monster telephone pole, right, that has, you know, most of the new pole and then part of the old pole, you know, lashed to it, you know. And this this is what we're doing today. right? I mean, and, and so, you know, I encourage uh, anybody, uh, anybody listening to actually just start a you know, look at the way, you know, poles up polls to look at your community. You know, if you're in a situation where you have these stub poles, last partial poles, I mean, that is really because of this sequential attachment activity. And uh, you know, it might not ruin the day, but I mean, it really is a, a different kind of a blight and probably a safety issue overall.
2: Well, I'm curious. One of the reasons that I tend not to do a lot of talking about polls is that after visiting some communities that have uh, often over a period of many decades engaged in undergrounding projects, I've become very partial to getting as much out of the site as possible. I just think the aesthetics yep. are are more wonderful. And I'm I'm curious in the in a longer term, does does the city of Louisville? Do you know, do you think you can um, encourage conduit access as well, or are you focused on uh, poles for a long term? Uh, you
0: know, I don't know that we have a, a strategy. You know, kind of as a city or a community on you know how much is aerial and, and how much work is underground. We uh, we certainly have a bias, as many communities do. You know, a new development. Uh, you know, of course, the bias is to have stuff uh, underground, and a lot of our newer developments are underground. Um, you know, but we are a 350 square mile, you know, merged city county. It's a lot of space, and it's um, it's uh, not a small thing to say. Well, you know, let's make a commitment to getting all this uh, underground. Very expensive it took a very long time and and so we're really just um uh, you know kind of trying to make the best of the situation that we're in right now, you know and so again, reducing extra clutter in the right of way is a priority and uh, multiple poles in similar locations is is part of clutter uh, and and you know, c- can be a safety issue in its own right that on top of the proliferation of microcells and uh, you know I think that's a that's a subject of a whole other show, I'm sure but You know, there is no slowing down the deployment of fiber as it supports wireless data. Um, You know, we're going to see, you know, tenfold increase in, in small cell tower work. Over the next few years, I mean, this is there's no stopping. There's an arms race for you know getting on tablets and mobile phones and and so you know that that you don't do that underground. You know you have to attach yourself <laughs> to something in the air. And so you know I, I I know you have a vision of having everything underground, but you, you, I don't think you're keeping track of all of the mobile devices and Internet of Things, and they're all above ground and they're looking for something above ground.
2: Yes, you you have me there. The uh, then the the wireless access points will certainly have to be above ground. <laughs> and there are more
0: of them, right? I mean, more yes. of them all the time because people go to four G and then five G, and then and, you know, and it pretty soon you realize that you're going to have to be very proximal to these antennas. And the only way that's going to happen is if there's a lot of fiber, you know, supporting
2: that. I'm curious if you could characterize some of the arguments i mean we we saw that uh, i th- i believe um in the city council meetings that uh the incumbent providers spoke out against these policies and um what arguments did they use
0: well so um you know in, in in the lead up to the ordinance uh you know there there certainly are uh i think you know if you're if you're used to the way you're doing business you know and you have you know crews that you send out to do things uh you know then your' bias is say, "Well, you know, I like it the way I'm doing it right now, and you know a lot of it you know kind of does center on you know i I send my people out to to work on my stuff, and um you know, I understand that, and you know there's lots of interesting arguments to be made around all of that uh so you know that's really I think at the core of it those those are where the concerns are is you know the the status quo at the moment before this ordinance uh really you know, has a whole set of business practices that, you know, if you if you suggest we're going to stop working like that, you know, the first reaction you get is, well, this is how we do our work, and, you know, we really want to keep doing the work the way we've always done the work.
2: Yeah, generally, I don't find that a very persuasive reason. I mean, sometimes it, it's, it carries the day, uh, but unfortunately, it's one of those things that, um, you know, if you have fiber all over town, I can see why you wouldn't want to change things. Uh, But anyway, um, I wanted to throw that in there because I haven't found that their arguments held a lot of merit, but I wanted to make sure that we at least gave a nod to them. I'm curious, is is there anything else uh, going on in Louisville that, um, you know, for people who are interested in what cities are doing to um, improve Internet access that you'd like to note?
0: A lot of the focus of this conversation is how do you really get ultra high speed, cost effective Internet, you know, Mayor Fisher, you know, my boss, really looks at this very holistically and we, we are certainly concerned about being competitive uh, in that way, but you know, similarly we are aggressively working on uh, low-income neighborhoods. Um, it's, you know, sort of what I think of as the new digital divide and, and the, the new digital divide isn't really about internet access in the sense of yeah, I have it or I don't. It's the way that you get to the internet and uh, we have neighborhoods in Louisville where you know, what's true, they may have access to wireless data. Uh, the pricing is so very high uh, relative to what we get at, you know, in a fixed line at your house uh, that, you know, people don't use the Internet, you know, for educational applications and, you know, these things that are a little more bandwidth intensive. And so we're, we're focused on, you know, what can we do to roll out uh, wireless Internet uh, in some of these neighborhoods. And we have a Mesh network that we've recently put up in uh, in one of these neighborhoods, and we're learning a ton uh, by doing this. I just want to say, like, it's not your, it's not your grandfather's, you know, Wi-Fi project municipal Wi-Fi project. We're really, we're really trying to learn about arrays of access points, how they can be good for economic development for small businesses in the area. Recently, we've rolled out um, a few big belly uh, recycling. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that company out of Boston, but, you know, they they have uh, uh, essentially trash receptacles and recycling receptacles that uh, have, uh, in the case of the ones we rolled out, you know, wireless backhaul, uh, that now in these neighborhoods also have hotspots in between units, and they're solar-powered solar on top of the unit. And so we've put a couple of these units into this neighborhood. We've been doing public Wi-Fi. And uh, it's really been very interesting to see, you know, now, you know, now we have people waiting at a bus stop and they're able to know when the bus is coming, you know, because there's the trash can next to the bus stop is a hot spot and, you know, it's powered by the sun and it uses wireless backhaul. So it's very, you know, no matter where you are physically.
2: I have to think that in the near future, those things will also be measuring air quality and doing all kinds of Absolutely. other things, too.
0: Yeah, so, so but. I really want to emphasize, you know, while it's fun to talk about 10 gigabit internet to your house, it's just as fun to talk about uh, wireless trash compactors that, you know, also can do other things for you, right? Help you get the bus, maybe monitor air quality, uh, you know, maybe monitor noise levels, you know, whatever that is, right? There's all kinds of, and we're learning that in one of our most economically distressed neighborhoods. It's, you know, it is where our most advanced internet technology work is happening. And I couldn't be happier about that. Like, you know, it's, you know, we're, we're now sort of, we recently stumbled into um, some learnings around vacant property and the kinds of fires that vacant properties have. turns out they, they present real fire risk to adjacent properties that have people in them. And, uh, and so now we had a hackathon to come up with an ultra-low-cost smoke detector that can talk to our municipal network. And so now the empty house that's catching on fire can tell us that it's on fire, you know, before anybody can see it, you know, because it's empty, remember? And so, you know, the idea that, you know, we would come up with innovations like this only really comes from actually having the asset in a neighborhood that's distressed where, you know, we can come up with these, you know, these sort of crazy new ideas that I'm pretty sure you wouldn't. You wouldn't come up with in a situation, you know, in a, in a very wealthy neighborhood where there aren't the same kinds of challenges or constraints. We're doing some of our best learning uh, on the other side of the bandwidth uh, continuum, you know, but the slower internet, but Internet of Things internet, you know, you know broader, you know, everyday use of internet, uh, and then of course we're going to have our folks that are looking for for looking for the speed and you know trying to telecommute and all that. You know, the mayor really sees the whole continuum, and we're we're trying to work the whole continuum.
2: Well, it sounds like that's a lot of what Susan Crawford has been calling a responsive city, which uh, I've enjoyed uh, her writings about that and talking with her about that. Um, it's also, I think, the case that when you talk about developing these apps and and these uh, these uh, approaches, you probably wouldn't be doing it if you had to be paying, you know, per per bit or or you know, trying to get someone's permission from the telephone company to do it. I mean, there's a lot to be said for being able to build. Your own network using unlicensed wireless space. I mean, these sorts of things are really important.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's really um, and like anything in life. I mean, you actually don't really know what you're doing until you get busy doing it, right? And so we're we're learning as we're trying. And Susan's a wonderful person who you know sort of makes the case that this infrastructure, right, is a public good and. You know, the only way you really can back up that rhetoric is by actually showing people all the different kinds of good that it could do. And and that's really what we're focused on. And and every day we think of a new value that, that the network can provide, you know, really validates that whole point. Like, just like the road that you built, you know, or the railway. I mean, like, you see all the different uses and all the value that's created. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily know about all that until you, until you lay the infrastructure down.
2: Great. Well, thank you for coming on the show and, and telling us about what's happening in Louisville.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me.
1: That was Chris and Ted Smith, Chief Innovation Officer from Louisville, Kentucky, discussing One Touch Make Ready policy and what is happening in the Derby City. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at Community Nets. You can also follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter, where the handle is at MuniNetworks.org. We want to thank Kathleen Martin for the song Player vs. Player, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening to Episode 193 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast.
2: You can even